0: You know, we're going to talk about prayer, and, and any time that we talk about prayer, that song comes into my mind. It always does. Every time we we'll get somewhere, we're going to talk about prayer, I start thinking about Janis Joplin's song, Mercedes Benz. And I thought that Janis was taking a poke at religion when she wrote that song, because we pray for some pretty crazy stuff. When you lean back and think about it and some of the things that we've asked God for, uh, do you ever get embarrassed? You know, you lean back and you think, I prayed about this. You know, I prayed to marry this person or wanted to go out with this one. And you you lean back and you go, what? Why was I talking to God about some of the crazy things I talked about? But you know, she wasn't talking about, she wasn't taking a poke at religion. Give you a little background on the song real quick. She was actually taking a poke at materialism. Lydia Hutchinson wrote an article about this song and said that when, Janice, uh, when Joplin sang in the second third verses of Mercedes-Benz for a color TV and a nine-on-town, she know, knew all too well that neither would bring her peace. It's the want of something that gives you the blues, she once said. It's not what isn't. It's what you wish was that makes unhappiness. That's almost, I mean, that's almost biblical, now Mercedes Benz was a track on the last album that she ever recorded. In fact, she died before it finished on October the third of nineteen sixty nine. Her band, the greatest band name on the history of the planet, Full Tilt Boogie. What a name for a band. That laid down the final musical track for the song. And the next morning she was supposed to record the vocals. But she never got the chance because that night she OD'd on heroin and she died. The reason she OD'd on heroin, this is how we think sometimes. She had an alcohol problem and alcohol caused her to have a hangover and whenever she had a hangover, she couldn't sing very good. So when she had to record, instead of using alcohol, she used heroin because heroin didn't affect her voice. But this time it did because she died. And you know what's ironic? Her car was parked in front of the hotel. They had to tow her car away. Do you know what kind of car she drove? A Porsche. She had a Porsche. I hope she met Jesus somewhere. I hope she met Jesus somewhere, but I'm afraid she didn't. You know, you you, you start out with prayer. I tell you always that Mercedes-Benz song pops into my mind. We could really have a good beatdown session this morning about our prayer lives, I imagine. You know, what we ask for, how much we pray, when we pray, the list could go on and on and on. Be a very easy sermon and everybody would go home feeling appropriately guilty for not living up to the, 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 the standard that we've all set of what we should be in our prayer life. I don't know why that would do any good. I am convinced, I am thoroughly convinced that the power of God is locked up in prayer. I am convinced that the power of God is locked up in prayer. And we don't understand that. I know this is silly. I know this is really silly. And I thought about cutting it out, you know, make things a little shorter for everybody. But why would I do that? So I have in my mind's eye, When I think about prayer, and like I said, I know it's silly, but this is what I envision. You've all seen the movie where they have something in the attic that they won't let the little kids see. And so mom and dad go off, and they leave Junior at home, and he's going to sneak up in the attic, and he's going to find out what it is that mom and dad won't let him see. He Pulls down the doors, he climbs up, it's a dusty old attic, there's a table sitting in there. On the table, there's a little jewelry chest that looks like a treasure chest. And as Junior walks towards it, it quivers a little bit because it's like it's got something alive in it. And you can see little bits of light slipping around the little place where the where the top and the base meet, and, and Junior has a little key in his hand, and he sticks the key in, and he turns it, and when he does, the lid pops open, and the room fills with light, and all kinds of amazing things happen around him. And that's how I envision prayer. That's exactly how I envision prayer. I believe that when we pray, incredible things will happen, not can happen, but will happen when we pray. Jesus has already told us how to pray back in chapter 6. We've been there, done that. Our Father who art in heaven, remember that one? This one isn't a how-to. This is a promise. Jesus says here, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it shall be opened. And I know you're thinking to yourself, "Pastor, I've tried that. I've prayed desperately that my mother wouldn't die. I prayed desperately that my child would live, that my husband and my wife, they would be healed. I prayed desperately for our marriage. I prayed desperately for my boyfriend. I prayed desperately for a test at school, a new job. I prayed, I prayed, and nothing happened. And make no mistake about this, folks. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty about it. We've all been there. We might be there right now. Now, here's where Randy comes from. The Bible is true. It's true for everybody. The Bible's true for us. The Bible is true for me. I reckon the words of the Bible, I consider its words to be God's truth to me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. When I read this and I hear this, this is God speaking to me, saying, Randy, Randy, Ask, and it will be given to you. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is to reckon these same words to be true to you. They're not truth in the Bible, something to be studied. God is speaking to you this morning as an individual saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. It's what God's Word says. So reckon it to be true that Jesus said, when I ask for anything, it would be done. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Either Jesus was a bald-faced liar or we're missing something. And since he doesn't lie, I know where the problem is. We're missing something. Some of you know that George Mueller's my man right now. I've studied George Mueller with a staff. Studied George Mueller. Uh, it's a biography of George Mueller called Desiring God. I've studied it with the deacons. George Mueller was a 19th century pastor and a founder of an orphanage. In fact, he, he inspired a number of orphanages. Over the course of the life of his orphanage, 9,500 orphans in England came through his organization, their life was changed. Why this makes a big deal is back in that time, orphans as as young as, and I may have this a little off, but I don't think much, um, orphans as young as 12 years old were seen as cheap labor. And the companies in that time would take those orphans and bring them in and make them work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, every week that came in deplorable conditions, essentially had slave labor out of 12 year olds. Everybody in this room that's 12 years old or less, would you mind raising your hands 12 year old or less? Yeah. Can you? Yeah, well, there's maybe one that might have a little fib going there, but the rest of you. These guys could have been working. You can let your hands down there, guys. These guys could have been working. And, and Mueller saw this going on, and he said, this isn't right, I've got to do something. So Mueller starts these orphanage. He had as many as 3,000 children living in his orphan houses. He built five in one place in England. As many as 3,000 at one time lived there. And George Mueller never asked for a dime He never had a fundraiser. He never advertised for money. He never had a -a walk-a-thon. He never had a fun run. He didn't sell spaghetti plates, have a car wash, a bake sale outside of Ace Hardware. He didn't cook chickens. He never had a fundraiser. He reckoned this scripture to be true, and God supplied George Mueller and his charges with over 1.5 million pounds in order to build, run, support all these kids, and to support this staff during the time in the 1800s when he lived. You can do anything with the internet now. Anything. So if you go to Google and you type in how much was 1.5 million how much would 1.5 million pounds in 1880 be equivalent to US dollars today it will tell you hmm and you know how much it is 208 million dollars 208 million dollars and George Mueller never asked anybody for a dime, except God. His work changed the lives of 9,500 orphans. It spurred great leaders like George Whitfield to open orphanages in other strange places like Savannah, Georgia. It changed the way the entire nation of England and the entire world looked at abandoned children. He did it by praying. Silly George, he had no idea how to do these things. He didn't call in a consultant. He didn't call in fundraisers. He very naively took God at his word, and God did what he said he would do. Imagine that. We're missing something. We're missing something. George preached a sermon on the same text that we read this morning. He had four points to the sermon. I want to lay those four points out to you. If you take notes, take them fast because this is four points. Boom, what you're going to get. Point number one, point number one, listen, point number one, our prayers must be according to God's will. Point number one, our prayers must be according to God's will. His biography, didn't quote a scripture for this, but I was drawn to Psalm 37, 4. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Point number two has two parts. First, we have to realize that our prayers will not be answered because of our goodness, but because of Jesus' goodness. It's not anything that I've done. It's him. That's the way that's going to work out. John 14, 13 is the scripture he used for that. Don't expect, listen to this one. This is probably a big one here. Don't expect an answer if you are cherishing sin. Do not expect an answer if you're cherishing sin. Psalm sixty-six, eighteen 18 is the scripture he uses for that. Point number three is simply this. When you pray, trust God to answer. He quotes Mark eleven twenty four: 24. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. The Bible says this stuff, and we study it in Sunday school, and we all go, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, mm-hmm, and then we go on about our ways. But listen to what he's saying. And point number four is don't stop praying. And again, the biography here didn't point to a particular scripture, but if you go to Luke 18, verses 1 through 7, that one will work just fine. George Mueller prayed for the salvation of five people his entire life. He had five people he wanted to see saved. Probably others, but there were five that was on his his list. Three of them were saved at varying points through his life. The fourth one was saved right before he died. The fifth one was saved right after he died. Now, I wonder how that works. Don't stop. Now, those are the four points. We had time and the inclination. We'll work our way through them one at a time, maybe learn a whole lot, go home satisfied, maybe even feel a bit proud that we've got this prayer thing nailed down. I taught a prayer course at New Providence Baptist Church. It was 13 weeks long. We covered every aspect of prayer there was. We were prayer experts. What difference did it make to anybody? Because we knew all of that. I'm just as disappointed in our prayer lives as we are right now because I'm convinced that our number one problem is the number one point. The number one problem is that we don't pray according to God's, according to God's will. And that opens up a can of worms right off the bat because we start talking about, well, God's will. I went to Google again. I just love Google. I went to Google again. And you guys know, let me help you old folks in case you don't know it. The young guys know this a whole lot better than me and can tell me that, Randy, that was stupid. You should have done it this way. But if you go to Google and you put quote marks around something, whatever you put quote marks around, it looks for just what's in those quotes in that phrase. So I went in, I quote, will of God, capital G, not a little, but a capital G, and a quote on the other side so that it would look up that phrase and that phrase only, will of God. And if you type will of God into Google, you will get 48,200,000 returns. I did not read them for for the sermon this morning. 48,200,000. Hmm. If you don't have time to do all of that, then listen to this verse and understand where the will of God is. Psalm 37, uh, three and four. Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. 37, 3 and 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Here's the problem, I think. You see, I, I think that our prayers are rarely effective because we're afraid of God. And I don't mean fear in a reverential, I mean we're afraid of what God will do. We're afraid of what God will make us into, what God's going to call us to do. That we are afraid of what we think God might require of us or what we might become. We've really not listened to the word of God very well if that's what we believe. Of all the people that encountered Jesus, how many of them did he tell to be missionaries to some foreign country? Let me ask a better question because I got a wonderful object lesson here. Of all the people in this room, How many people in this room, this could surprise me actually, how many people in this room has God called to be a career missionary in a foreign land? Please raise your hand. Somebody count the hands for me. One. Thank you. One. How many people... In the Bible, when Jesus met them, did he tell them to give up everything they own and become a pauper? One. Rich young ruler. How many, how many did he tell them to leave their jobs and families and become Jesus freaks? None. None. Oh, Randy, he forgot about the disciples. He called them out and told them that they had to leave their families and everything. Yeah, but he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He didn't say anything about being freaks the woman that he healed with the issue of blood, the paralytic at Bethsaida, which one did he say, I'm going to heal you, but I'll need to take your firstborn child and make them die to prove your love for me. Did you ever hear that in this scripture? How about, I'll feed you from these five loaves and two fishes, but from this point on, you're going to be required for everybody you meet, you've got to share the plan of salvation, Roman word, Roman road, step by step, don't skip a spot to everybody you meet from now on. And when you go to your job, every third word out of your mouth has to be praised, Jesus, and you got to have a smile on your face all the time. Where in the scripture is that? Where is it? But that's what we all think. Randy, that's not true. You know what? It is true. That is how we think, or we wouldn't be afraid. Satan wants you to believe the extremes. So you fear what God would make you, that he will make you weird, he will make you go someplace out of this world, out of this country, that you'll be so concerned about being a wacko that you won't be able to play ball anymore, you won't be able to have fun anymore, that you're going to have to smile and praise Jesus all the time, that you're going to be so concerned about being a wacko that you are useless to God. Our prayers ring hollow and stay unanswered because we are not surrendered to God. We don't delight ourselves in him. But what if the Bible is true, people? What if the Bible is true? What if the stuff that you've been studying all of your lives, and some of you folks are old You are, I can say that. I will be 60. And when I remember being a kid, 30 was ancient. 60, I could go any minute. Some of you guys are 70, 80, and 90. God help us, watch them as they walk out. The path might be littered with bodies as you go out. What if this is true? What if we believe this and we surrendered ourselves and leaned back to God and said, you know what, you've been telling me this stuff since I was in cradle roll. I believe you. I believe you. I believe whatever, whatever. I've been saying this verse for the last couple of weeks. It just stays on my mind. I've used it in a bunch of different venues. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, God speaking, and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Listen, listen to what he says. I've got to work hard. I've got to do. I've got to change. Really? Listen to what he says. He says, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to do that. I don't have to do anything except look at him and want to see him, desire him. What does, it keep, what does 34, uh, verse 4 say? Delight myself in him. He will cause me to walk in his statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your fathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. What if it's that simple? What if it is that simple? Simple that all I need to do is trust Jesus. Just trust him and that he really will change my heart and change my heart in a way that I will be overwhelmed by his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his awesomeness and his power and his love for me. That I really will be a godly person and I will not be weird And I will be satisfied. And my desires will be his desires. What if it is that simple? I do not think God wants us for what we can do for him. There's seven billion people on this planet that he could pick to do stuff for him. I don't think that's what he wants. I think what he wants, he wants us for what he can do through us what he can do through us. He wants to prove to the world. Listen, 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 just a second, listen. He wants to prove to the world that he is real, that he loves them, and he wants to remove their hearts of stone and make them alive like they yearn to be. I've heard Janice Joplin all my life, child of the 60s and the 70s, I have never studied her face. And when I went to look this up, I got this particular video that had a picture of her face. And while it was playing, I just stared at her face. And as I stared at her face, I realized she looks like a friend of mine. She really does. Nose, structure, face, a whole nine yards. And I'm staring at this woman and I'm thinking, She ached, ached to be loved by someone that would make her feel special. She wanted to do her best. And she did crazy things to try to do her best. And she wrote songs that says that all the stuff that I've got, the Porsche that I have sitting outside of this hotel room, Is it really making me happy? And what I really want are arms that will hold me and never let go. And as I'm staring at her and, and, and seeing that and thinking, I hear God say to me, will you let me use your arms to show people like Janice that I love them? Will you let me use your voice Will will you let me use your feet? Will you let me use you to show someone that I'm real and that I love them and that I'm what they're looking for? George Mueller had his institutes. That's what he called it. Institutes, he had the... I keep doing this because he had the five buildings sort of in a square there. And he had Sunday schools that he supported... he had a thing called uh, uh, something of scriptural knowledge that was a a teaching thing that was all over the place. He did every bit of this the same way. He didn't ask for money. It just came in and it happened. And someone asked him, said, said, why did you do this? And you'd think, well, I did it for the orphans. This is why he said he did it. The chief end for which the institution was established... is that the church of Christ at large might be benefited by seeing manifestly the hand of God stretched out on our behalf in the hour of need in answer to prayer. They spoke lots of words back then. You think, I'm wordy. Let me put it in a nutshell. George chose to help orphans in the manner he did. So that you and I could see that God does answer prayer. That's why he did what he did. He loved the orphans, he was called to help them. But he did the work he did so that people could see that God is real and that God answers prayer. What if? What if you prayed with that in mind? Lord, hear my prayer. God, my plea, cause me to pray for things so that others could see your answer and know that you exist. I bet I wouldn't pray to win the lottery anymore. cause me to pray for things so that others could see you answer and know that you exist and that you reward those who faithfully seek you. That's the place to start. Will you pray together with me? Lord, hear our prayer. God, our pleas, cause us, Father, to pray for things so that others could see you answer and know that you exist and that you reward those who faithfully seek you. Father, cause your perfect love to cast out the fear that we have. Cause us not to fear being weird because of you. Cause us to let go of all the things that we've heard that have scared us about you and cause us to want you and only you. And that you are the one that will make us perfect in your eyes. We know this is Jesus' will. So we know that you will answer us. Amen. Don't be afraid. See, I heard a long time ago that a hypnotist can't make you do anything that you normally wouldn't do in real life. So the people that got up on stages and act like chickens and monkeys and all that stuff where people who really, for the right opportunity, would stand up and act like chickens and monkeys and stuff. And you know, God's pretty much the same way. He won't make us do anything, maybe, that we don't want to do. Because what he'll do is he'll work in our heart until we desire it. And when we surrender ourselves to him and we follow him, we find out that our desires start to change. And that sometimes it's better right here, when we had our first 24-hour prayer vigil, I had my list of things to pray for and ended up sitting here quietly for the longest time because I found out that it was better to want him than to want other things. That's what I want for us, guys. That's what I want for us. I want us to want him. I want us to hurt for him. Like a deer pants, I think is the way the scripture put it, by water. That's what I want. Because when we do that, we will do crazy things and the world will change and we'll find us loving people that we didn't think we could love and forgiving people we didn't think we could forgive and saying things we didn't think we could say because we saw Jesus and there ain't nothing better. This morning, if he's calling you to salvation, I invite you to come forward I pray that he's called you at home and you've prayed already and you need to make a public profession of faith. But if you're wondering about this Jesus, I'd love to talk to you. And there's folks here who who are dying for the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus. I'd ask you to come. If God's calling you to surrender, don't say rededicate because that means you're in charge of it. And we're not really in charge. Surrender. If he's calling you to surrender... I invite you to pray where you are, come to the altar, come forward, whatever you need to do, surrender yourself to him. Let's see if he's good for his word because I believe he is.